Hello, everyone, and welcome to the webinar. So there's about a dozen of you on already, a bit early. That's great. We're going to be starting soon, right on time at noon Eastern Standard Time. Welcome everybody to the webinar. We're going to get started right on time at noon in about 17 minutes. If you look at the chat function here in the webinar, 
you will see the Dropbox link to the slides for today.
Hey Jay, I saw your comment about not being able to hear audio yet. We actually haven't started yet. We're going to get started in seven minutes at uh, noon Eastern time, but hopefully you can uh, hear this coming through now. Well, welcome everybody to the webinar here today. Uh, if you want to <clears throat> get a drink of water or a cup of coffee real quick, we still have three more minutes till we're going to get started.
welcome everybody to the webinar. We're going to get started in just a little bit over one minute. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Investment Pitch Prep Workshop. We're going to get started now. Uh, we've got a lot of content to get through um, during this webinar. We are recording this webinar. I know some of you are watching live on LinkedIn. Um, as Facebook stops uh, stalling on us here, we'll have some people watching via Facebook as well. So welcome for, welcome for today. The goal here is to get through as many strategies and approaches to your materials, structuring your pitch, positioning your pitch as possible. So we're going to be talking about many different strategies and ideas and perspectives. Some of them you'll be able to use right away today. Some of them you'll be able to use at every meeting you go to moving forward, I hope. Some of them you may have wished you would have known when you got started, but I'd encourage you to try to get them in place even if you have been around for five or 10 years and need to tweak your brand or tweak your approach in some fashion. So let's jump right into the content. So with everything that you ever hear anywhere, you know, make sure that it's okay for you to be using this idea in Singapore. Um, since I know we have people from Asia here on the call or in Canada or Australia or the US, et cetera. Some of the perspective today is coming from me running the family office club and working with ultra wealthy families every day uh, through our Centimillionaire Advisors Division. But we also have a seven person full-time team in our investor relations agency called pitchdex.com. Uh, we're up to 51 clients now within that agency, and we help put together the visuals, the strategy, their investor targeting. We provide consulting guidance to them, uh, how to make their pitch deck, how to put together a logo, one-liner, et cetera. So we'll see examples of that throughout here. I hope make it very practical on how to use this advice. Over the last 12 years through running the Family Office Club, we've hosted over 130 events um, I've put on myself over 50 full day workshops where I teach for six and a half hours about capital raising. I've signed contracts with over 30 families that are worth over $100 million or more. And every day I'm texting, emailing, calling on due diligence calls with family offices, looking at investments. So it's, there's some things that everyone who's raising $20 million a year or more are doing. There's some things that everyone does the same when they're just getting started. And those two things are not the same. 
So there's a lot of golden threads between what really works and what's needed, almost for sure. We're gonna share those throughout the day. There's also you know, golden threads, or you could call them otherwise, of what almost everybody does that's wrong when you get started. So we're going to point some of those out. A couple of real quick takeaways to make that practical and just give you your first idea or two on the second slide here is that we have people raise their hand at our events. How many people get 100 emails a day? Everybody's hand went up in our conference. Then we said to the investors, how many pieces of educational material? It's just a page or two long. It's just value. It's not pitching you something, not selling you something, not getting you to sign up for something. It's just value. How many of those pieces of education do you get in the mail, like the physical mail uh, each day? No hands went up. So there is uh, essentially a huge amount of people trying to raise capital via email. Nobody using direct mail. People are scared to pick up the phone. They don't use text message. Another takeaway uh, out of the 30 strategies we want to share with you today is using video. Uh, almost nobody out of over 340 pitch decks that we've reviewed for family office club charter members, we've seen three people use video in their pitch deck. None of them was a video from their founder and then articulating their strategy for a couple minutes. Um, so that costs almost nothing to put together. And if you want to see an example of it, go to centamillionaires.com. It's centamillionaires.com. You'll see one of myself introducing myself, turning to a whiteboard, and then drawing out what our business model is at Centamillionaire Advisors. And you can take that approach or a different one, but nobody does video, yet all the investors on stage at our investor summits say, we'd like it if we saw a video of the founder talking about their strategy. Uh, centamillionaires.com was the link, Samantha. And so uh, everybody wants to see video, um, but nobody, nobody uses it. The last thing I'll share, uh, third strategy takeaway, is that emails get an 8% open rate, typically. Text messages get a 93%. And most people don't use text messages while raising capital. So there's two types of knowledge, uh, my mentor Dan Sullivan says, uh, specialized knowledge and worthless knowledge. And would like to think through the Family Office Club, through listening to 30 investors in a day, they're getting a lot of specialized knowledge straight from investors. Through the membership portal, you can listen to a lot of investor interviews uh, through myself, our workshops, webinars like this. You're gaining specialized knowledge on investor relations, how to raise capital, how to work with investors, etc. So that's the type of knowledge we're trying to give you. We try to make sure that we're using our time wisely. And if we're not giving you a lot of value, you're not going to come back because then we're wasting our own time and your time. It's more valuable than any money that you spend to come to one of our events or that we spend to put on a webinar like this. And at the end of the day, we want you to take like those first two or three ideas on, on using video and using direct mail and using text messages and all the other ideas we're going to talk about, just combine three to five of those and you're going to have an unfair advantage because almost nobody wants to do those things. Nobody is doing them currently in real time. It's 3% or less of your competition are using them. So throughout this presentation, I'd like you to take some notes and maybe you'll have 10 takeaways of things you can implement, but if you at least have three to five and put them into place, then I think you're going to have an unfair advantage like the grizzly bear who's positioned himself at a waterfall where the salmon are jumping towards him, you can be in a stronger position based on the information we're gonna provide you here in the next hour versus going to a lake and splashing around throwing a spear at uh, some fish swimming by. You have to figure out where the fish are swimming and position yourself for that. The website we mentioned, I'll say it one more time, uh, we are recording this, Jeff, but the website is centamillionaires.com, Centa with an I. All right, uh, throughout all of our workshops and the Family Office Club, you'll see we recommend that you take a holistic approach to capital raising. What does that mean? It means you're in the right communities, you focus on positioning, you have proactive reach outs to qualified leads, you acquire choke points, and when possible and appropriate, you operate within the business 
that you are raising capital for or running an investment firm in, so you have extra insight and information. All right, we're gonna go through five or six sections of the webinar today. Everything's gonna be very high speed. What I did is took a six and a half hour workshop on this topic and narrowed it down to one hour. I doubt we'll get the questions in the one hour. I'll stay on five or 10 minutes um, and then and answer a few questions at that point. So if you can hold your questions until then, it's gonna make it easier for me to track them. Otherwise, we'll get lost in the chat stream. Uh, so I appreciate that. So this first slide here, if you're following along visually, is of a, a pyramid of types of investors. So if you are just starting out, you are likely not gonna raise a billion dollars if you've never raised capital before. If you are trying to raise capital for a startup, you're usually not gonna go to an endowment fund, a pension fund, because those, those people are writing 50 and $100 million checks at a time. Sovereign wealth funds don't want to get out of bed in the morning for less than a $100 million size deal, typically. So it's important to match up who you're targeting size-wise with the right type of investor, and then narrow it down further to the actual knowledge that's in the brain of that type of investor. What I mean is that it's not just so simple as going to endowment funds, it's endowment funds in your region or that investor in real estate. It's not just going to private investors, uh, it's private investors who happen to own a dental or medical practice, or they had an exit in the manufacturing space, or they invest in FinTech all the time. Lots of people say, oh yeah, well we raise capital from all types of investors, so this doesn't apply to us. Well, it does, and if you don't dial it in, then you're not really making your materials extra meaningful for anyone. Because what the endowment fund wants to see, totally different than the high net worth, and you don't know where to go to find your most ideal prospect if you haven't defined who they are. It's just like the medicine you might see at a pharmacy called arthritin, or arthritis pain, or Excedrin for a migraine, you wanna figure out the very specific investor type you're going after so you can dial everything into what they value most, how they wanna structure things, what fees are open to, and just get it so dialed in that they feel like it's made very specifically for them. That's really important. You'll see that throughout the rest of this presentation. I know you've heard this on other ones if you have been following our work, uh, but I just can't stress how important it is and many people don't do this and it's part of a strategic advantage. Most people say we're a long short hedge fund or a lower middle market private equity firm, or a FinTech company, or we are a uh, operating business, you know, uh, hoping to grow to a $5 million valuation, et cetera. None of that means anything because there's 5,000 people saying it. It's like going to a crowded beach, looking at a picture of 5,000 people there, and someone asking you who's the smartest or the tallest or the youngest or the oldest person here. It just looks like a mob, you can't tell. If you define your investor set right and you define your position in the marketplace and you, you know yourself well enough, you know the competition, you know what investor you're targeting, and then you know the gaps between that trifecta, you can identify a sandbox that has no other players or just one or two other players in your city, region, or even nationally that are playing that same game. And then you'll have a powerful position to play off of and everything is going to have more momentum once you have that. This is something we talk about at some of our other uh, events, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but you have to have a crystal clear one-liner on exactly what you do that shows your strength, your credibility, your background, different than competitors, but very well customized for the exact investor type that you're going after. If it's a family office, they might love direct investments, they don't want a blame pool. If it's an institution, they might only do direct investments through co-investment rights after they've already conducted due diligence on a fund, as an, as an institution, they can't be moving quick enough or conduct due diligence deal by deal. They need to be making bigger allocations usually, but they appreciate co-investment rights. That's an example of why this is so important. And we'll show you a couple of examples of one-liners here in a minute. 
So there's four real levels of positioning that I've found. And you can look at this at the brand level, or the brand and logo level, or the brand logo and your one-liner. Uh, most of you have a brand and some sort of logo. And one rule of thumb is that no one's ever gonna take you more seriously than you take yourself. So if you have a clip art logo, logo or a high school you know, uh, design looking logo or a $50 you know, uh, logo that you got one hour from somebody, no offense if you're from India, but out of a you know, graphic design shop in India, et cetera, and it looks cheap. It just makes it seem like you don't take your own firm very seriously. Um, and there's really four levels of branding. Level one is that it literally hurts your position. Your logo is so bad, your brand name is so repulsive to some types of investors, it actually hurts your ability to get meetings. It just confuses them and they think you're something bad or it just, it just sounds like not credible. Uh, another level of brand, level two, would be that it's just neutral. This is how most people's brands are. If you're called Wilson Capital, no one has any idea what you do. If it's ABC Capital, if it's some Greek god that no one knows what they stand for unless they look it up, and no one ever does except for your partner when you convince them to have that as your name, you know, no one really gets any meaning from that. It just sits there on the shelf. It's not sweating for you. It's not working for you. It's not giving you an advantage in the marketplace. It's not giving you more replies to emails or in a business card. Someone saying, oh, just on your brand name, I know that we should be talking. Level three is something that is helping you and it clearly identifies what you do. Maybe the brand name doesn't sound amazing, but at least people know you're buying self-storage in Southern California, or at least people know you acquire dental clinics in the state of New York, et cetera. They have some hint at what you do or why to work with you. Level four branding is that not only they know what you're doing, but they want to work with you and it's compelling and it sounds unique and valuable. So this means that when they look at your logo, the brand and the one-liner, all together, it really sucks them in, makes them lean forward and looks like it was made just for them. Or they think, I've never seen anyone with that before, or I didn't know something like you existed, like your firm existed. And they want to work together just based on that. This is night and day different than looking at a pitch deck that says XYZ Capital on the front page, maybe a date, the next page is a disclosure, the next page is a table of contents, the firm doesn't have a teaser, and you're on page five or six and you still don't know what the firm does or why you should care that they exist on planet Earth. The one-liner logo and brand alone should make them want to take a meeting with you, and you can use that one-liner on every voicemail, phone call, email, top of your teaser, front page of your pitch deck. We help people put that together at pitchdecks.com. Um, we don't use a $400,000 piece of software to do it. We use my 12 years of experience running the Family Office Club. There's no reason not to have this. It's not like, oh, well, we're not large enough to have a one-liner or a nice brand. It's silly not to have it. If you're not serious enough to get this in place, then don't have an investment firm, is my opinion. We're gonna go over now 15 pitch material components. These are gonna be things that you can have in place that are gonna help you with pitching investors. We're again gonna go after marketing assets that you could have in place and probably should have in place. And those together are gonna to help you get more investor leads and pitch them more effectively. So let's jump right into this. First off, um, it's important that when you're putting this together that you just keep in mind that Investing for in anything is really about conviction, high conviction. How do you make it so that you are unique, you're going to a unique set of investors, um, you, it's appropriate for the level of due diligence they're gonna do, what's in your data room, what's in your materials, and how are you gonna get their attention and de-risk it as a process? Because a lot of investing is about de-risking and just making sure that at the end of the day, um, the thing that's being shown to them looks like something that they can get their arms around, understand, and really uh, move forward with in terms of, in terms of value. 
Uh, I just want to make sure is everyone able to see the slides as I move through uh, the webinar here today? You could just comment if you can see them. Uh, yes, no, that would be great. Yes, okay, great. About 100 yeses coming in, so I appreciate that. My assistant as well, awesome. So at level four branding, um, I just want to comment on this real quick to make sure that everyone gets this. And I had this conversation with a $1.3 billion firm yesterday. They didn't really get it. Um, so lots of people say, oh, we've been in business for six months now and we have 20 investors, we can't change our brand. Or, oh, we've been in business uh, like the firm yesterday for you know 17 years, we're not gonna start a whole new company. What are you talking about? We're known as XYZ Capital, which on the phone call I told them, well, that doesn't mean anything to anyone who doesn't already know you. Um, and the example I want to bring up is a $10 billion family office who has been around for eight years. And they decided to change their brand just last year from HPM Partners to a new name. And they have hundreds of clients, very sophisticated clients, uh, where each relationship is deeply important. And they're at $10 billion in assets and they rebranded. Anyone who's on this webinar, I think 98% of you have less than $10 billion in assets. So keep your mind open to how do you make something that's not confusing and that helps you get more meetings and helps sweat for you every, every day. Either your brand is just sitting there or it is working for you and it's helping. Um, we do have this PowerPoint available. At the very top of the chat, uh, maybe Alan and my team can post it, there's a Dropbox link to the PDF link uh, of the slides in case you wanna print them off if that's easier for you. So I'm gonna show some before and after brands here if you're following along visually. I'll go through this real quick for those that are on audio only. Uh, so first is Access Loans. It started out with a brand here that you can see, the green and blue. I thought the colors clashed a little bit. I didn't think it was excellent looking for a fintech company that's ran by a very horse, high horsepower CEO. Um, we've gotten involved in this company just because we think that they're gonna, they're gonna do very well, but we helped them rebrand. You can see the difference. If you look at one and look at the other, the difference in credibility and confidence and professionalism and taking your business seriously. The other example is with a pitchdex.com client as well called CRE Construction Partners. You can see that example here where it has a lion head uh, with the wings. Dynastic Development was the name. You don't know if they're developing software or real estate or companies doing business development or something else. Instead, we got a logo and put together here, as you can see, this is a bold, confident blue color called CRE Construction Partners. And they work with independent sponsors, as well as investors, as well as large companies doing large construction real estate projects and are growing their investment track record with that expertise in joint venture and do co-GP type deals. And so for them, that name serves them and attracts people to them. With Access Loans, they had a different brand name as well, but at the end of the day, they're providing direct-to-consumer access to capital, to money. And that's why they chose the Access name versus a longer name that they had uh, just a couple months ago. All right, here's some more logo examples. We don't have too much time to spend on this, but it should be representative of what you do. But in the real estate space, there's so many clip art real estate buildings and then your name that if you can, make it clear what you do in your brand name and then the logo have something that drives home your value, your geography, or something that's unique about how you structure uh, your work. Now we're gonna talk about a couple lessons that we've learned on one-liners. So what we've seen is that most people just don't have one. When they do have one, it's not a one-liner, it's a one paragraph about what they do. Um, and what we found is most important is that when you're putting this together, it's tangible, compelling, unique, verifiable, 
you should say something that no one else is saying or almost nobody else is saying, but even better is say something that no one else can say. So there's a FinTech company, we're just working on their one-liner this morning, um, and they have over 20 professionals on their team. They're a relatively young company, but I put the 20 team members into their one-liner because that is unique uh, about them so they don't look like a startup and people know this is a serious FinTech company. Another FinTech company by chance that we helped put together a one-liner for, uh, he has started $200 million valuation platforms. He's now starting a third one, but he's more motivated because it's his own platform, and we put that into the one-liner. And he thought it was almost a little bit too bold, but it's the truth. And it's why you know I, I invested in the group. So I think it's, um, you wanna wear on the sleeve the tangible things that say we have, like Ahmed's one of our pitchdex.com clients, and he's, we helped him design a one-liner that says he's closed 437 distressed mortgage notes over 13 years. That's very tangible. And someone who's just starting out, even if they're backed with a $10 million seed investment or a $100 million, they can't say that one-liner. They can't say that. So you want to find things like that that are dialed into your investor, different than your competition, unique to your strengths, show off what is best. Why do people take meetings with you and why do they invest? Put that up front. Or why does everybody have an objection? What, what are people most afraid of? And just kill that objection right in your brand name or right in the one-liner. For centimillionaire advisors, we use that terminology because centimillionaire means $100 million plus net worth. We do work with ultra wealthy at 20 and 30 million plus, but especially at 100 million plus, they're always doing direct investments. We can add a ton of value to them, but our one-liner is about performance-based family office solutions and direct investment programs because we know that direct investment program development and formalization is of high importance. And we know it just removes the friction if we make things performance-based. So we just take a performance fee from our clients uh, who allocate through the deals that we're able to arrange for them. One-liner before and after. Here's an example on screen, if we're following visually, from Targacell. Uh, Targacell had a one-liner of the next generation of stem cell delivery. Don't really know what that means. That could be a therapy clinic. Are you injecting professional athletes and putting stem cells into their knees? Is this something surgical? Uh, are you literally a supply chain deliver, delivering uh, stem cells around the world and gathering those in a, in a foreign country? I'm not sure. But what they're actually doing is using proprietary proteins to deliver stem cells to damage heart tissue. So we rewrote it from the next generation of stem cell delivery to a non-invasive stem cell delivery system using proprietary proteins to repair damaged hearts. So if somebody hears that and they see their heart logo and sees target cell, they'll know what they do. And interesting, our, uh, our client here was at an event and they asked for volunteers to stand up in front of the whole 300 person conference and say what they do. And it said in one line, explain what they do. And because they had this ready, they were able to stand up and say that in front of the whole audience and get additional connections. And they said it was awesome. They told us right afterwards and we're very excited by it. But really the main motivation is to use this on every voicemail, email, email teaser, pitch deck, et cetera. Whenever you close any deal, there's really three trust curves you have to be moving up. Uh, we cover this on a few of our other uh, workshops. So I wanted to just blow through this real quick. Um, but essentially you have to move investors up the, the trust curve of you and your team, leadership, the industry, they have to understand how the industry works on some level usually, and then the exact individual opportunity. So for target sales, someone might know the stem cell industry very well, they might even be familiar with the exact opportunity to invest in the company and they get it quickly, they're local to you, they can get to know the opportunity. 
but maybe they just need to know your team better. So it's all about meeting in person, sharing the expertise, the deep, high, high quality uh, members of your team, et cetera. Other times you can go to people who just know you very well. So like people start with friends and family capital raising and raise almost all the capital you need. But if you run dry on that, then you should look at people that already know your industry or people who are local to you so they can get to know your team and the opportunity more quickly. If you are going into meetings and nobody, they don't know you, they don't know your industry, they're not local to you or local to the opportunity, you're dead in the water and you're probably living a painful existence right now. So I would minimize meetings where you're going in at the bottom of all these trust curves. And if you can get really high up one or two of these, it will supplement for the fact that one of the others or two of the others are lower. I think that's critical and you can use that going into every meeting on where you should focus your energy. If you're putting together your pitch deck, where should you focus most of the content? Should be on the area where most likely they need the most education. If you're going to people that already know your industry and you're in a simple industry like self-storage or apartments, don't spend 12 slides on how apartment buildings work and collect rent, obviously. The more sophisticated, confusing, black box your strategy, the more you need to focus on the industry typically. We're gonna go over some pitch deck components now really quick. So first off, uh, your cover of the pitch deck should have your one-liner. You should talk about how the industry works, the problem, and go straight to what is your solution and your value add for that problem. Your unique value process diagram, which we're gonna get through later. Uh, details of the opportunity, portfolio construction, risk management, deal origination, then case studies, team bios, a timeline diagram, which we'll show you an example of. Structures, terms, and fees sounds straightforward. But lots of people forget to put these in their deck. And we had a question from Mike before the webinar about should he have it in his deck if he has superior terms? Yes, for sure you should. Um, if you think it's one of your best strong suits, it could even be in your one-liner if you're sure you're going to consistently be offering that. Um, and I think it makes it less of a wide negotiation if you can be very clear on what your terms are going to be and what the advantages are going to be of working with you. Uh, and wear that on the sleeve. If your terms and fees are average, you may or may not want to put them in the deck, but you have to also have to ask yourself, without being too creative, why do you want to have average terms? Why do you want to have the structure and the fees just sitting there like an XYZ brand name instead of sweating for you and making people say, oh, that's much more aligned than normal. Or, okay, that's not too creative. I understand it. I still feel protected and aligned, but you know, we're not uh, scared uh, based on what you're talking about there. Uh, page numbers are really important and simple, but also making sure your contact details are on the slides. I don't know how many times I look at slides and then I don't know where the person's based out of because they haven't bothered to put their office address there. That's bad for a few reasons. It's bad because no one knows where you are and they don't know when to drop by and see your offices, but it's also bad because if you don't have your office address there, people might assume that you don't have an office and you're a startup and you don't have a team. So showing your team, team bios, team pictures, and the office, even pictures of your office or pictures of assets you've acquired is really important. If you do that, then that is gonna help you appear more credible and move forward with the relationship. I just put the link for the slides into the chat if anybody would like access to them, that's what that Dropbox link is. Um, also, I'll just add a little note there so everyone knows that. Great, so there's some mistakes. We don't have too much time to go over for today. Um, dense, painful text is very common. Uh, pitch decks that are too long, very common. Uh, you really need to have your pitch deck be 15 to 19 pages long or less than 25. And um, the more important the investor, the, the busier they're gonna be, the higher check amount they could write, the busier they are. 
they don't have two hours to go through your pitch deck and no one's going to read your 60 page deck. Not even your own team word for word or your own spouse is going to have the patience for that. Many times the terms will be in a deck and I show up and the investor says, okay, well, what are the terms? And they were on page 18, but they didn't bother to even read each page because everyone's so busy. One pager teaser insights. Uh, first insight is have one. A lot of people don't. And if they do, it's an executive summary just full of text, nothing visual. You have to laboriously read through it all uh, to really get what the person is doing. Don't make it hard on them. Have your one liner, have visuals, have your credible team, pictures of assets, make it very visual. So you look at it and in 30 seconds, people know what you do and what your advantages in the marketplace that connects with what the investor's needs are for who you're targeting and what the competition is not doing. So you want to make sure your full contact details are on here. Use icon symbols. You get it visually designed well. We're not talking about spending $80,000 on design. So, you know, one rule of thumb is to invest just 0.1% on what you're raising capital for into your marketing assets. So if you're raising $10 million, maybe just spend $10,000 on making sure the design is spot on and excellent. Uh, make sure your headshots for your executives are standard, professional. Otherwise, it looks like it's not a real team. You just downloaded images from LinkedIn and put them up there and said they were your team. Investors are always afraid of that and they're never going to, sometimes they won't ask you directly, you know, are these 1099 or W2? So you just want to assure them at every turn that it's as, as credible as possible. I would just keep this strictly to one page, just the front side. I get that you've been doing commercial real estate for 17 years. I get that maybe you have 40 years experience um, and you've done 50 deals for some of you, but that just makes it that much more powerful what that one page will say. Nobody needs a nine page resume personally or a 82 page pitch deck or a seven page teaser, then your teaser just becomes a half of a pitch deck and it doesn't serve the purpose. You want this to be someone can click on it while you know, they scan their airplane ticket before they get to their seat on the airplane, they can text back their assistant and say, yeah, set up a meeting with John for Tuesday, uh, looks great. Because just off the high level view, you can see it's different than what everyone else is doing. So if you can't scan it in literally 45 seconds or 30 seconds and get a feeling for exactly what your unique edge is and what you do and where you do it, then you got to work on your teaser a lot more. A lot of people fail to design one at all. And, you know, the first impression is a deep impression. And a lot of people eliminate most investments instantly just off of the email archive you within 30 seconds, uh, not take the meeting, not call you back. A lot of you know that and it's frustrating and tough. So here are some examples of one-liners that you can see up here uh, on the screen. And we're going to one-pagers. Here's a before and after teaser, if you're following along visually. You can see on the left that there are um, a, there is a letter with a couple bullet points, otherwise it's just paragraphs of text. And then on the right, you see very visually who's on the team. You see images and how the company is put together. You see the one-liner at the top. You see that it's not a whole bunch of dense text. We'll tell you that some clients, even though we tell them to make it very visual, do still want a lot of text. Part of it comes down to personal preference. Nobody wants to read a whole page of just text. If they can glance at it and get it visually, it's just much easier and faster. Here's another example of a one-pager for a pitchdex.com investor relations agency client that we have, a firm called Alliance. You can see on the left, they had a few pictures of buildings and then just a whole bunch of text and web link. Uh, on our version, they have the web link and pictures of more buildings, plus pictures of the team, plus icons along the top, plus it's graphically designed to look pleasing and professional. Like this wasn't something that somebody just threw together over a weekend, typed into a Word document, pushed sent. Like you, the investor at every turn wants to have higher conviction, more trust, 
really what they're looking for is that you're committed to your craft, you're an expert at your craft, you take it seriously, and you're in this for the very long term, because they want their money to survive for the long term. And if those things aren't aligned, you're pretty much done. And I think that, um, you know, I talk about this a lot, but I think it's just so important with your materials, with your strategy, with your positioning, with who's on your team, with where you're located, it's all about integrity and integration of all those things and alignment of all those things. The more that you're aligned so that everything is helping each other and synergistic and all pointing towards uh, removing friction and getting business done, the better it's going to go for you. And the, the less that's the case, the less trust you're gonna have while meeting with anybody. All right, so here is uh, a couple of insights on websites and social media. Um, essentially, we have found that LinkedIn, Facebook, Google AdWords, YouTube, and podcasting are the best assets to use to drive people to your website, get people to call you, et cetera. We've spent the most on Google AdWords historically. Uh, LinkedIn, next. Uh, we've used Facebook and podcasting a ton. It just really doesn't cost much for the base use of it. But we're getting 15 to 20,000 downloads of the Family Office podcast. If you listen to podcasts, please uh, check it out, subscribe to it, please. We put out two to three episodes a week with interviews with investors, discussion panel content, insights from myself, and updates on mandates I'm working on for investors, deals that they're looking to allocate to. Um, we have found a lot of uh, leads come in via education. And I get to that in the next section, but I can't stress that enough because investors value their time so highly. They want to seek out the best resource. When they find it, they'll reach out versus you reaching out to someone who has no idea what you are and they might not call you back or think it's credible and think you're just trying to sell or pitch them something. Um, you know, having a website is pretty critical. And I think that if your compliance attorney says you can't, maybe they're right, or maybe they just say no to everything so they won't ever get you in trouble because it's hard to get in trouble if no one knows you exist and you don't attract any investors ever and don't do anything to gain attention from investors or regulators. But I'd find a way to do a website if you can. And I would make sure that you don't make the common mistakes of having a poorly designed one where it says Wix free website at the bottom. It shows you're too cheap to pay $20 a month for a basic website. Um, you know, I would get a five to seven page website, put a video of it on, uh, of you speaking about your strategy, examples of deals you've closed, if you can, and get some compliance approved way to have a professional website. We put these together for clients all the time, and there's no reason not to have at least a basic one that looks professional like your teaser and your deck. This is an example of one to put together for Target Cell. Um, educational marketing folder, we cover this more at the live workshop. We're gonna skip over this today, essentially, I got started in thought leadership and using it to get access to investors by getting other people's thought leadership, putting it into a folder on the left side of the folder, the invest, investor marketing materials on the right-hand side of the offer, and then giving that folder to investors, and they really appreciated it because I gathered together things into a single spot and gave them that education. Uh, you can see that in practice at centimillionaires.com forward slash book. We've got eight giveaways within a Dropbox kind of data room link. You get eight things for free when you opt in. That's like an educational marketing folder approach. You can also see that at conservation, uh, conservationeasement.com. We've got five free resources for people in there. Um, and it's a way to use other people's education to add value and make it so that you have something where you're giving value first instead of taking it. Um, data room insights. Again, we, we go into this, into the workshop in much more detail. A data room is a due diligence area within a data room software you might use or pay for or within, um, 
you know, within a back end of a website that has a membership area. So I think that that is something that you almost always need to have and it'll make you look more professional if it's very well organized, easy to navigate. Got a question here from Matthew on not allowed to have a website prohibited from making financial promotions. Uh, yeah, there are problems with doing this in different areas, but with the SEC, you can have um, a 506C or 506 uh, 506C actually is what it is, uh, filing uh, to the best of my knowledge, don't take it as legal advice, and that allows you to do general solicitation and have a website. So it's really not that hard to do. Attorneys will tell you it's not that hard compared to many other things. Conservationeasement.com was the uh, website there, Jay, uh, if you're asking. Um, but also, I just want to point out that if you're in a country where it's not allowed, you might be able to have an affiliated business, a consulting business, an educational business, a event workshop luncheon business. There usually is a way to do it. And whatever industry you're in, I'm sure you have competitors that have websites that speak at events, that go on TV, that go on radio, that have a podcast. So if they can do it, there's probably a route to do it in a way that's totally clean and legit. I would never ever for those of you that know me, uh, suggest that you do something that is really gray or is gonna get you potentially in trouble. The opposite of that, you should find the documented compliance approved path to do it. I just wouldn't give up when your first attorney says, oh no, you can't do that. No, that's not allowed. And it's just kind of their lazy man approach to answering your question when the question could be, how could we do it? Because I see five of my competitors doing it that are big firms. They're definitely not just like hiding in the shadows as a little one man shop that regulators don't care to go after and don't want to make an example of. So I think that is uh, something to dig into. Some bonus materials that uh, you could have in place, a whiteboard explainer video. I've got an example of that at cintamillionaires.com uh, and familyoffices.com is a whiteboard video as well. An audio interview or a recorded speech or recorded webinar like this. Uh, doing a documentary, it could be a 10 or 15 minute documentary of where you grew up, why you started your firm, uh, what was the evolution of it and what was the big breakthrough to things going really well, hopefully for you. Uh, TV quality, on-site videographers uh, can be really expensive, but it can make a big difference too. Putting together a shock and awe package is a bunch of materials that when it arrives, it gives someone so much value that they want to work with you and get to know you and help break the ice on showing that you're serious about your offering and your niche. And then just making sure you have all of your regulatory documents, all your, all your due diligence, uh, in a data room and very well organized. So as soon as somebody asks you for something, you can get it to them same day right away. So there's a checklist. Um, if you're not following along visually, you'll get the slides in the thank you email. And if you're not on uh, the phone, you can be accessing the Dropbox link to the slides um, as well to see this list. But it's basically all the things that we just talked about. Brand, logo, one-liner, pitch deck, one-pager, data room. Uh, Master DDQ, we talk more at our workshops about that. Educational marketing folder, top 10 frequently asked questions. We talk about that more at our live workshop on this. Uh, your CRM, recorded speeches, whiteboards, and a video pitch or supporting video. Here's an example of part of a teaser. One of the main things our investors liked was that they had a 7.5% return with collateral behind it with this equipment leasing company. So that's what they put on their teaser. Uh, they led with that and, you know, they chose the brand name by working with us, collateralized income investments because their investors liked collateral, collateral that's behind a source of income so they can sleep at night. So uh, there's all types of collateral. You can still make it risky with collateral behind it, but they have the logo of a piece of equipment because that's the industry they're in. 
and then they used what their investors want as the actual brand name of their firm. And I think that's pretty unique. And uh, they said it's been night and day different on the traction they've gotten with investors since they did this. So the point is, whether you do it with pitchdex.com or someone else, you should do these things for sure. I hope you see why. In your pitch deck, you should have examples. So here's an example of an actual piece of equipment that this equipment leasing investment firm uh, did a deal on. So they showed the percentages, the risk levels, the length, and they have case studies like this just to make their strategy uh, very straightforward. Remember, if someone doesn't know your industry or your exact opportunity well, they might just know you decently well because they're in, a, they're in the family office club community with you or another organization, then having visuals in this education is really important. And you spend more time on these slides if somebody's not familiar with how your model works. Here's a picture of a geographical scope of a group called Harlem Real Estate Holdings. And they invest in one area uh, typically. I think they're going around the five boroughs now. But uh, for this purpose, they're putting together a brand to attract more Harlem real estate. So they showed an overview of where they define the scope of where Harlem is. People have a general idea, but showing an overview with real estate projects, especially, or oil and gas basins, et cetera, is pretty much required. You should have it look professional like this, uh, like this or better. Here's a picture of Abner. He's one of our family office club members and clients. Uh, when you look at this picture, if you're following along visually, um, it's just professional, well done, clean, looks friendly, like someone you could do business with. You know, you don't want to look like you're half asleep. Uh, I'll show you a bad picture of me in a couple slides here on the podcast page. But you want to have it be professional and friendly just to help business move forward. It sounds so simple, but so many people have an arm around them cut off from a wedding picture, fuzzy picture, grainy pictures, all different backgrounds for their team, etc. Uh, here's a website we put together for a client. And then there is a list now of marketing materials that you can put together. Um, and these are things we, we ran through just a minute ago, so we're not going to, uh, again, right here. But the point is, how many of these assets do you have in place now? Maybe nobody needs all 15. Maybe only 13 or 14 out of 15 are usually needed. But if you only have one or two of these in place, what are the next three that you could get in place um, out of everything we've talked about? Is it your one-liner? Is it educational marketing folder? Is it a video? Is it a professional website? Is it your pitch deck really nailed? And figure out what are the next three assets you need to get in place over the next month or quarter. Now we're going to go over marketing materials. Uh, these are things to help you get more leads and uh, get more people to actually be pitching. If you don't focus on this at all, then what happens is that you have great pitch materials, but no one gets to see them. And what I found is that having it so that you are leveraging public speaking in some form, recording videos, uh, proactive reach outs to qualified leads, but then also writing uh, as well is the most powerful combination. Um, I think that when you have all those things in place, then you're more credible and you get more leads all of the time. One question here from Tarek, uh, do you need to have an NDA signed from investors before giving them access to the data room? That's up to you. It depends how well you know the investor, what you think the risks are with your strategy, how proprietary it is. I would say if you annoy investors and you won't tell them anything until they sign an NDA, it gets tiresome. Lots of investors have signed a thousand plus literally NDAs in their life. And it's like before they know if it's even a serious discussion, they're not even asking for details yet. I just think it's kind of obnoxious to have them sign an NDA at every turn, but you know, specific to how much risk you think there is and them not signing an NDA. All right. Um, and I talk about funnels for a second here. 
many of you have seen funnels and you know what it means to have a marketing funnel in place. Many people have not constructed an investor funnel that's going to attract clients to you, attract investors to you. So one way to think about it is at the top of the funnel is broadest and most volume. There you have social media, blogs, emails, podcasts, advertising on Google AdWords, speaking at events, getting business cards, putting them to the top of your funnel. The middle part of the funnel could be qualification content, white papers, benchmark studies, infographics, a recorded talk, uh, maybe a handbook, something that bridges the fact that they know you exist on planet Earth to they like you, respect you, see that you're a credible expert and someone they might want to invest with or work with. And then there is the bottom of the funnel, which is you meet in person, you close them, you work with them, they become a client. So you got to move people through this funnel. Typically, most people just don't become a client. And you get more people to meet with you in that middle ground if the, the top of your funnel is really strong then you get more people going to the meetings because you're you're self-qualifying them as they go another uh, example of this is that they start out at cold unaware they then become a lead they then become a prospect they then become a customer and then hopefully a fan, a fan over time that's going to refer refer more business you know yesterday i was on a call with an investor sitting on uh, several million dollars in cash and we're helping them allocate that through centimillionaire advisors and um, they're at the point of a customer between customer and fan and they sat on the due diligence call with a operating business yesterday oh i, I wish we, we met richard five years ago and i said yeah i wish you did too we could have gotten more done together um, and then on a different call it came up again they said what structure do you think we should do and they were going to go with the structure where they'd have to give up half the profits i was encouraging them just to give up a third and I said, hey, Mike, I want you to do it this way because if I can save you that 16% plus in profits every year, I want you to say five years from now, Richard saved us $700,000 in fees or whatever the number would be. And so all of you have goals to turn people into fans, but many people don't have a funnel that takes them from unaware to a lead to a prospect. Most people have prospects and investors. And they have no funnel above it. So it's a strategic advantage to have the funnel built out there's synergy in having it built out the right way. Articles, podcasts, blog posts, easy to create, easy for people to consume. Doesn't mean you're super serious about your niche. Anyone can write a little blog post and anyone can read one in one or two minutes or listen to a podcast casually or put one on. But if you create a white paper, a benchmark study, an infographic, something of that nature, it means you have more expertise. It positions you as more credible. And the more articles and blog and uh, podcasts you do and blog posts, the easier it is to do a white paper, benchmark study, infographic, et cetera, webinar like this. The more of those you do, the more you can put out a book, give live speeches, and it all self-feeds on each other. You become more articulate. You've got more knowledge, more examples. You attract more business, more strategic relationships. That's how we've grown the Family Office Club and grown our whole business is through having a very strong funnel. It's our competitive advantage and our competitive mode in the industry. Uh, we spend $4 million a year on our platform overall by hosting 30 events per year, putting out our media resources, writing many books on the space, and making sure we've got the top podcast, website, and book in the family office industry. And it's paid off in spades. And people say, oh, well, why are you writing another book? Or why are you doing another webinar? It's like, because each time I do it, it works. And we attract more clients and we make more money. So yeah, to an outside person, they say, oh, why is that needed? You already have a book. But in my mind, um, we find another doorway to add value to our target investor set, then we're gonna do that. And if you target your content to a very exact investor set, and you only talk about the exact niche of expertise you have, you can saturate the niche with your content so you are the best position expert in your space, 
and you're gonna attract more business. There's a lot of rocket scientists out there, but if you're one of the top 10 most well-known rocket scientists, you're the one that's gonna get hired by NASA at $2,000 an hour, or get paid by Elon Musk, or get recruited by the uh, Silicon Valley startup who wants that in their think tank. So you have to position yourself as the most well-known rocket scientist. It can't be misconstrued as, oh, expertise and value does not matter. All that matters is making yourself look like an expert. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm just saying that that's table stakes. There's many people with your level of track record and expertise. So if you layer on top of that, sharing generously and genuinely advice and insights and documenting your journey, you're gonna attract more investors. Talk about this a ton at a lot of our workshops. So we're not gonna talk about it in depth here. We've got a workshop just on influence and persuasion, full day workshop on family office fundamentals, one on investment pitch prep, covering this content in much more depth. We have uh, another one just on capital raising catalyst, the fundamentals uh, of capital raising. And we also have our investor summits that you can come and participate in. We don't have time to talk about articles and blog posts today. I mentioned it a couple minutes ago. Uh, it's relatively straightforward, but we'll cover it more at the workshop if you come in person. Podcasts can be really powerful. Um, you don't need a lot of expensive software either. There's a headset called a Logitech H390. It costs $20. I have a little ring light in front of me here. Um, maybe you can pull down to show you right here. $15 on Amazon makes it so my face is in all weird shadows. Uh, this poster behind me that's like slightly not positioned perfectly, I have to admit, uh, is something from Vistaprint. I think it maybe it cost me $50 to have a clean, nice background, whether it's branded or not, isn't super critical, but very inexpensive to have good video and decent audio as well. I would keep podcasts short when you produce them. Some people will want you to do an hour interview. But nowadays, if someone asks to interview me, I just say, can we do it in 20 minutes or 30 minutes? I know you usually do an hour, but you know, time is money. And I think listeners are more likely to listen to 100% of what you have to say if you're more concise, just like a teaser and a pitch deck. Uh, so it doesn't cost anything to start a podcast besides the time it takes to record it, edit it, and post it. Very inexpensive to do. Just don't be too long-winded. Don't pitch all the time. Add value at every turn, and people will end up listening to it. We've done 150 episodes maybe close to 200 now on the Family Office podcast, and it's done well. We've also been on over 50 other podcasts and YouTube shows over time. Here's a picture of me on uh, Grant Cardone's, um, he's got a show called Power Players, and it's a podcast slash webinar series, essentially like a video series. This is one where I think the picture of me is quite awful as an example, but it's the only snapshot we got of that interview. There's another one here of me on a, uh, Brian Tracy TV show recording, another one with one of my mentors, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, that bottom right one. And it's gotten me a ton of exposure. I've gotten multiple $100 million plus families that reach out because of the podcast and they're cold calling me because of assets like this. Same for books that I've written. I've gotten under a six-figure contract with the family office while I was vacationing in Brazil. They were based in San Francisco. Before we met in person, I was under contract to help them launch and start their single family office because of a piece of educational content I had written. They got so much value from it, it helped. Another $240 million family flew down and spent a day at the Ritz-Carlton with me because we have a book called How to Start a Family Office and they paid $20,000 to go to a workshop. They got the same advice in my book that brought them to me to work with me. All of this is based on a strategy I learned uh, from Evan Pagan. He's one of my mentors, helped me really grow my business to seven figures in our first three years in business. And I started in 2007, by the way right before the crash, and it's about moving the free line. How do you add more value than everyone else's in your niche consistently? 
Another way to say it is who's being most helpful in your niche? Who's the most well-positioned expert? And how do you become the most well-positioned expert instead in that same niche or in the little sub-niche of theirs that are carved out? I've never tried to be the expert in wealth management. I think family offices is more valuable turf and single family offices and how to start a family office and centimillionaires. But notice the sandbox of wealth management is huge. Then you look at the sandbox of family offices, smaller, single family offices, smaller, how to start a family office, even smaller. And then centimillionaires, a little bit bigger than the niche of how to start a family office, but no one, no one had been competing in that niche. So we have positioned ourselves to compete very well in that niche and are putting out a lot of thought leadership. So when we sub niche down over time, it's all synergistic and aligned. We don't abandon what we were doing before. We just build infrastructure on top of it. That's important to note. Um, one thing here, the key component was not discussed. How to get in front of investors. This is for James. Um, this is how you get in front of investors. You add value to them first through education. So if you know of an investor lead, you send them education first, they're more likely to take your meeting. If you know of an investor lead, your user one-liner, that's why they're going to say yes to your meeting because your voicemail stated in 10 seconds something they've never heard before. It was dialed into them. That is how you get more investors. Uh, we don't have time today to talk about building a customized investor database or investor communities. But we talk about that on our other webinars, which are recorded in, inside the membership portal. Membership in the Family Office Club is just $99 the first month as of today, right now, at familyoffices.com forward slash association. And you can watch all of our recorded workshops, webinars, et cetera. Uh, we're happy to answer questions you have. But uh, it's ironic when talking about the marketing funnel that someone's perceiving that we're not talking about how to get in front of investors. This is exactly how you get in front of them. Um, so I'm sorry that wasn't more clear. I'll try to point out exactly how that works uh, in real time here as we go through the next few slides. Videos help uh, a lot. Um, it makes it so that you can be genuine, authentic, add value, make a personal connection. People remember faces better than logos. They connect and look at faces faster than an abstract image. And if they shake your hand for two minutes at an event, and then you follow up via email, they not, may not know who you are. So having an email signature with your face on it, having a link to the video, texting them a video, having them watch your videos, retargeting your investor leads on social media with educational videos are all things that can be super helpful. And I know uh, a few people that are using videos very effectively, it's really helping them raise capital. A uh, big mistake is thinking your video has to be perfectly produced. Uh, if you think that way, like most of your competition, you'll never produce anything while people like myself are constantly putting out helpful resources. It's about being authentic, genuine, adding real value, sharing your expertise, documenting your journey, and then the synergy of everything you're learning by sharing it, you'll learn faster because people will see you as a source of knowledge, expertise, and a hub of connections because sharing knowledge makes you hyper-connected. You're the one who's going to get asked to write a book to speak on stage, to be on a podcast, then you get more connected, then you have better insights, then you're more articulate, you have more better deal flow, more value to investors, and it's a viral, uh, virtuous circle uh, is what I'm meaning to say. There's examples here of many videos we have recorded, um, and I think that <clears throat> what we have done consistently is produce things that are related to what investors are asking me about every day. Um, so essentially, if we know that it's a complaint of investors about performance fees or high fees or people not being clear on their structure, we'll record content on that. This morning, I recorded a video on seven strategies to get better valuations when investing in companies. Something I bring up, and after this, I'm headed to a meeting with a billionaire, 
and I printed out a few strategies for him and some deals, and I'm gonna share with him how we use this funnel strategy to get great deal flow, but also ways that they could be investing in deals at a much better valuation than the average family office. It's just an example of how we use these strategies. Uh, another question here, how do you contact prospective investors? Um, as they are not handing out emails or telephone numbers. Um, so basically you contact them by either buying a database, building your own, finding them on LinkedIn, finding what communities they're part of, what associations are they part of, what clubs, what chambers of commerce, where do they live, live where they live, work in their office buildings. There's 30 different ways to be doing this. Build a niche list of people with exits in your space. We talk about this more in the Capital Raising Catalyst workshop. And we've got 36 other hour long webinars where we go into that in more depth. But there's a couple quick ideas. Um, with benchmark studies and special reports, uh, this is something I mentioned a little bit earlier. We don't have time to go into in great depth, but it can be very helpful to have at least one to three white papers on the topics which are most important to due diligence in your space, the future of your space, show off your insights and wear your best ideas on your sleeve. When people wanted to sell you know, CDs in the olden days or records, they didn't put the worst song on the radio, they put the best one because that's what attracts people is your, your best ideas uh, that are easy to understand and get and they can put into use. If people put your ideas into use before becoming a client, they're much more likely to become a client. Just make sure you make this visual, practical, not 22 pages long, make it concise, and make sure that you get straight to the point and make it so that it's implementable and you're not just saying, oh, well, if you want those super secrets, come engage with us. Like in this pitch deck right here in this webinar, you're getting many ideas that you can use and take, whether you ever work with pitchdex.com, become a member of the Family Office Club, et cetera, and that is a way to add value. So you can see immediately that we have many more ideas that we can share and that you will get by coming to our workshops or by working with us and our design team and our, our strategy team, but also it, it plants in your mind that these aren't people just trying to hawk us something and sell us something that they don't actually have the value. We're showing we have a lot of value to share, and if you do that with investors, it shows confidence and abundance and not, oh, you have to sign three NDAs and you have to pay us hourly to give you any ideas. Investors want value first through education, connections, referrals, a lead, uh, something for their operating business, et cetera. So if you're not careful, your, operate, your area of investments will look like this, like a sandbox that anyone could stumble into. What you really wanna have happen is it look like this, a castle. You want someone to look at your niche position and say, wow, that person is very well positioned. Uh, they are the expert on that space. They're doing very well in that space. They've defended it with all this intellectual property content. Everyone gets excited about being in a niche position, like, oh, we're the number one hospitality investment group in the city of Austin or in Scottsdale, et cetera. That might be exciting to say, but to position yourself as such, you have to be part of the local associations. You have to speak, you have to write content. You have to network, you have to figure out who the top trust and estate attorneys are, you have to figure out how to get the best deal flow in the space, et cetera, and a lot of people don't wanna do that homework, and so they don't have a funnel, and they don't have a strong position. I have a checklist of some of the things that we just talked about, articles, videos, marketing folder, special report, speeches, podcasts, public speaking, writing a handbook, uh, a book such as uh, this book here, How to Start a Family Office, if you're following along visually, or a book here, a single family office book. I uh, can get those for free at familyoffices.com or this book here on capital raising. You can get on capitalraising.com. I'd love for you to uh, check those out, just examples real quick of things that we put together. And I'll ask yourself, which of these 10 assets do you not have? 
and which three do you want to create next? You want to be on other people's podcasts at least to kind of test the waters, see if you like that environment, if you get leads from it. Do you want to start writing articles? Do you want to start speaking publicly in a local group that could get you deals that would in return get you more respect from investors if you have better deals? Um, and everyone says, by the way, oh, I've got so many deals, I just need more investors. It's really no shortage of deal flow. But if your deal flow is amazing, investors will reply more often and they are more likely to get to the finish line and invest. All right, key visuals is the next thing we're gonna talk about. So Steve Jobs used to say that he liked to impute value upon what he was creating um, by having beautiful packaging and design. So when someone looks at your pitch deck or they look at how you dress or they look at your logo or your website, it's imputing some sort of value upon your, um, you know, yourself and your firm. And so it's either a good value or a bad value, but it's imputing something. So you have to feel it, you have to say, well, you know, Steve Jobs used to say you could charge more because of the beautiful design. Maybe you could have higher fees if everything was beautifully designed and your team was excellent and everything just looks so professional or you raise the capital faster or, you know, you have to travel less to get the capital raised and people are more likely to come to you because they see that your institutional quality, et cetera. Before I move on to the next slide with a quick question about targeting investors related to patent litigation funding, uh, I'd go after patent litigation lawyers or law firms and go after the partners of those law firms that are profiting at seven figures a year. They know your space, get you deal flow, and they'd be up the learning curve of probably the individual deal and the industry. So that'd be kind of a shortcut uh, for that. Another question from Richard, the family houses have professional screening pitches from capital raisers. Uh, some do, some don't. Large ones do, of course, but a lot of small ones do not. Most ultra wealthy don't even know what a family office is and don't have one. So uh, obviously most do not have this, uh, but also I would just say that if you are working with someone who's worth more than 50 or $100 million, they're likely to have someone helping them screen. If you're working with someone who's worth, you know, five to 20 million, they likely do not have anyone helping them screen. And just think if maybe you could help them screen investments in the niche area where you have expertise, then you can show them your own ideas and you can compete that against what else you could help them source and get. One question to ask yourself is, do your materials do your experience justice? I don't know how many times I've seen someone with 20 years experience, but their materials just look like not valuable at all. They don't look professional. It doesn't look like someone's taking it seriously. Would you show up to a meeting in your sweatpants and a t-shirt? No, obviously you would not. Uh, so, you know, think about how your materials are showing up and how your brand is showing up uh, at a meeting. I would think about your industry uh, and the visuals you need. Is it confusing? Is it sophisticated? Is it black box? Is it simple? All of that's gonna change the visuals. If you're buying, if you're investing in companies that are small, then don't show images of very large corporate headquarters. If you're buying distressed real estate, don't show shiny downtown office uh, sky rises. You know, make it very relevant to what you're investing in so it's realistic. There's other images you can put together. Tombstones of deals can add a lot of credibility, a timeline of development pictures of assets like I talked about before, pictures of your team, a video walkthrough of your team, et cetera. Nothing replaces the visual understanding of what's going on and just the trust that it's all real. So we're gonna talk about now one of the most important points of this presentation. It's your unique value add process. This is something that every single one of you should have. You might need to have it at your client level and how it works for the investor. Uh, I invested in a company called Better Bath, Better Body, a premium bath salt company last year. And we helped them do this recently uh, in their deck. And essentially it is taking, how do you take, in their case, taking raw 
components, what goes into their premium natural bath salts. Then they have the manufacturing value add in their warehouse. Then they have their premium packaging and where they distribute it. And then the direct to consumer delivery to clients. From the investor's perspective, they have the part of getting to know Better Bath, Better Body. And then they have the part where they invest, get a royalty or a dividend, and then have their equity or equity warrant. So having that as a process so they know how you add value to the industry, how do you add value to investors is really critical. And almost no one has this. Even billion dollar plus firms many times do not have this and it's a gap in their marketing. This is something that can give you an unfair advantage. It should go on your website usually, teaser, your pitch deck for sure. And uh, it doesn't cost anything, but being very intentional and very aware of what is the flow of value creation. Here's one example from Targacell. I'm not gonna walk you through step-by-step, step, but you can see how visual it is. Uh, here's one from JMG, multifamily group, uh, that shows timeline of their development of their firm. Uh, here's another one showing icons of JMG, and just kind of uh, at a snapshot, you can see they acquire 1,200 doors a year. They have 16 multifamily buildings under management that they have worked with 75 plus investors. It shows social proof, the focus in the state of Indiana. So you can see just by looking at the visuals, okay, it's not a startup group with like one person on the team. I'm not investor number four in the organization. I get where they're investing and I'm not gonna meet with them because I don't like Indiana or I do wanna meet with them because I'm tired of the, the new New York regulations on you know, rent raising or you know, I'm tired of uh, not getting good returns in my own backyard, et cetera. So as a quick exercise, I'd like you to jot down what is your unique value add process to the industry um, and, to, or, and or to the investors and just have a draft of something written down that you can turn into something professional and use in all of your materials. Uh, we cover that another time. Uh, we cover also for about 30 minutes at our workshop for the full day version, copywriting, wordsmithing, if you say one one-liner that just means nothing, or your brand name is Wilson Capital and it means nothing, uh, then it's not really adding value. Versus if you change the message on the paper, it can be worth 100 times more or get 10 times or 20 or 100 times the reaction, the positive reaction. So that's the difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill. Historically, they're always been on the same paper, same shape of paper, same blue and red threads. The only difference is the message on the paper and one is worth 100 times more. That's the power of wording things right and getting things dialed in in your materials. So you want people to say, wow, I didn't know there was a group just for us. Or, oh, I've been looking for something like this and I didn't think it existed. Or, oh, that's refreshing because nothing else seems aligned and everyone's charging us a bunch of fees before they make us any money, et cetera. Um, visually, I've got a checklist of all the different things we talk about. I'm not gonna run through it again here because we're a bit short on time, but you'll have the slides and the thank you email. I also put the link a few times, the Dropbox link. Seven quick takeaways, and then we're gonna jump into questions in uh, just a minute, but if you can stay with me for two slides here. Think about pitch materials versus marketing materials. Uh, they're different. Marketing materials get you people to pitch. Pitch materials help you take them to a close through high conviction trust building. Think about when you look at everything within your investment organization. Is it level one, level two, level three, or level four? I mean, is it driving people away, just sitting there? working for you a little bit, or is it really optimized and dialed in and you're proud about it, you think it's really helping with momentum. Next part, create a checklist and creation list to figure out what you need to make next. No one will take your offering more seriously than you take it yourself. If it doesn't look professional, they're gonna assume you're not the most professional firm and just move on. People get hundreds of deals. If you're trying to raise more than 200,000, 500,000 per check size, those investors often see a good amount of deal flow, if not a ton of deal flow, if they have a formalized family office. So what you did when you went to friends and family, you're not gonna survive in the jungle 
going to random people who uh, they see you as someone that's just pitching them and they're, you're one of a hundred just pitching them. If you don't have a warm referral in there, you know, you really got to put your best foot forward. The 0.1% rule, if you're raising 5 million, consider investing $5,000 and having a decent pitch deck and teaser at least. If you're raising 30 million and uh, invest 30,000 and getting a great rollout of materials. One way to look at it is just raise 30 million and $30,000 and then the materials didn't cost you anything or it's gonna take you less time because it's gonna look excellent and build trust from a distance via emails, phone calls, et cetera. Take high conviction action, show commitment to your space, professionalism, alignment, integrity at every turn and leverage outsourcing tools and resources as much as you can. Uh, the Family Office Club, we have 25 live events per year, 300 investors on stage at our events. We live stream the events, we HD record the events, we do live webinars like this. We've recorded 37 of them within the membership portal. Pitchdex.com is where we knock out materials and get your investor targeting strategy. You can do consulting with myself. We implement the ideas for you. We're not just saying, oh, here's the list of 40 things we think you should do. You get that for free as a charter member in the Family Office Club. We'll analyze your materials and say, here's 40 things you should do. Pitchdex.com is let's take a deeper look and come up with 47 ideas and let's knock out the first 20 for you at stage one. Then we'll do stage two together, et cetera. And we do everything from website, logo, one-liner, writing a book for a client, getting them on podcasts, strategy, consulting, formation of an idea, et cetera. If you wanna learn more, please go to pitchdex.com forward slash packages. That link is clickable there, pitchdex.com forward slash packages. Pull out that short form, even if you're not exactly sure what you need to get. And then uh, Andres on our team will have a, a scheduling link there. You can schedule a call with him and just explore uh, what we would change or what we could work with you on uh, with your materials. So I hope you got a lot of value from this webinar. I am gonna take some questions now. I just have about five minutes to take questions. So it's gonna be pretty rapid fire. You are gonna get the slides, the video, the audio recording of this in a thank you email. So um, don't worry uh, if that's one of your questions. Okay, now we have a question. We have a membership on access to the Singapore publication. Uh, Oliver, we can get that for you. Just email jennifer at familyoffices.com. It sounds like you're a charter member already in the Family Office Club. So please email jennifer at familyoffices.com. We can get you that Singapore white paper. Uh, if you're interested in membership, it's at familyoffices.com forward slash association. It's just $99 uh, trial membership the first month and it rolls into $199 a month. And for a decade, we've been the only ones to guarantee you love our event you come to. Uh, or a refund your price to attend. Uh, could put a lot of work into getting great investors in there. Arthur, uh, advice for fintech companies. Go after people that have had exits in fintech, technology-specific investors. There's many angel investors and family offices that only invest in tech. Find tech angel groups. Uh, figure out how to find in tech-like communities like Silicon Valley or parts of Austin, what memberships all those people are in, and build your own database of 100 qualified investors because they're chairman of a board of a publicly traded company or they're on the board or they were the founder. You could look through Inc. 500 listings historically over a dozen years in the tech space and build a database of those people. If they were on the Inc. 500, they might have got bought out, went public. Maybe they went bust or just stayed flat, but they were at a pretty good size if they're in the Inc. 500. And you can have a data worker via Upwork.com build that out, or we can help build out investor lead lists through PitchDex.com. How do you do this internationally? Do you have experience in Latin America? Podcasts and digital media can be seen globally, but when we push uh, potential investor leads to our content, we do so in cities that we're already traveling to most often, but people will find it globally. When we're in Kuala Lumpur, India, and Moscow, 
people came to us and knew our brand because of LinkedIn and other platforms. Um, most importantly though, in Latin America, you can have a real edge if you can have all of your content, both in Spanish and English or Portuguese and English, almost no one goes through that. If you think about the number of people that create content, very low. They say 2% of business people ever even write a book. You get some basic funnel in place, very, very basic, and you translate it into the two languages you work in, and it's focused on an investor niche and your expertise niche, you'll probably have a competition of one, if no one, uh, if anyone. What do you make? Uh, what advice do you have for biotech companies? Uh, same advice I had for the FinTech. Just take everything I said about tech and switch out the word biotech. Um, and the advice would be similar, although biotech has the, you have to build more conviction in the um, FDA regulation or just regulatory studies, clinical studies stage. People are confused by it and they're just scared by things they don't understand. And it is a scary thing. Big companies get it wrong and make billion dollar bets that don't pay off. So that scares investors to death. So I'd focus on how to de-risk that and how to educate people on how that process uh, really works. Um, we're gonna take a few more questions here. Um, Jonathan has a question about pitch versus marketing materials. Pitch materials are, John, if you met with me in person and I pitched you on becoming a member in the Family Office Club, uh, I would show you materials uh, that would show you the benefits of joining. This, or if I was showing you an investment, here's why you could invest, here's a pitch deck, here's a teaser, and walk you through that, give you access to a data room, an educational folder, et cetera. That, that's a pitch material because it's done to convert you into an investor. Marketing materials takes random people from the world or hopefully in a focused area of investor type and geography and move them from they don't know you exist to they know you exist in one way to they've gotten to know you a little bit better, they respect you, they're adjusting some content to okay, uh, they see that what you do is relevant, maybe they should come meet with you in person. Then you start using the pitch materials. Another way to look at it is the top part of your funnel is the marketing part. The bottom half of the funnel, it could be seen as the pitch asset part because you're gonna show someone a teaser typically before a pitch deck, and you're for sure gonna show them a teaser before they get to the data room. So there's a process to all that as well. We'll build out an extra funnel to kind of show that at some point as well. Having a lot of success with verbal pitches without pitch decks, investors are coming through a network. After they hear the pitch, they're referring me to others. Should I still put together pitch material? For sure, no doubt. Um, at least a teaser, but you should put together just a 12 page pitch deck as well. Um, it can have examples of assets you've acquired, pictures of your team, pictures of your office space, maybe show metrics of how others have been acquired uh, in your space, Shiba, uh, maybe tombstones of deals done or track record development of the firm, your unique value add process. There's no reason not to have that because some people will say, hey, send me your pitch deck. I want to forward this on to this family office I know. Or, hey, uh, I want to meet next Tuesday. Can we do so? And you can say, yeah, here's the pitch deck. So when we meet, we can talk about the meat of it and not sit there and explain my whole model verbally to you. It's going to be kind of exhausting. I don't take phone calls unless I have an agenda and materials to review. So when I get on the phone, no one's telling me about when, where they went to school at Wharton or the ABCs of their business model. We talk about page six, where I have a question about how the heck they're doing that, because it doesn't seem possible, or I've never seen someone do that before, and you make much more progress. The most valuable phone calls I have usually last eight to 12 minutes, and the painful ones are 30 to 60 minutes, where people go on and on about things that I could have scanned and read over pretty quickly. All right, now we have a few more questions here. Is it okay to share case studies from prior investments at other firms? Uh, generally, yes, but I'd get compliance approval. Sometimes it's appropriate to get approval from that investment firm. Uh, the trick is to always disclose everything. Just full disclosure, 
And that way it doesn't look like you're trying to hide something. I would even point out the bad thing about your model. They've scientifically proven, and we talk about this at our influence and persuasion workshops, they've proven that if you admit something is not perfect, because nothing is ever perfect across the board, people instantly trust everything else that you say. There's always an elephant in the room. Hey, we're not a hundred person firm. There's only seven of us. Or hey, the uh, trade-off of performance only fees mean maybe you're afraid we take risk on your behalf, but that's not the case because we have this in an escrow account and we drip out the fees. So if stuff goes down, we don't get the performance fee, et cetera. But pointing out the negative can help create a positive experience for the investor because you're just being genuine and honest and no one wants to invest with someone who's not. All right, just one last question here. How do you create a sense of urgency? Really good question. So one way is just to show social proof that you know, you're raising $4 million for a credit line and you think you have 2.6 million rounded up so far, maybe 2.8 million. So if they want in, the max you could give them is 1.2 now. Uh, and you're hoping to close it out in three weeks with a hard close in four weeks. That would be one way. Another way is in real estate, if I have a hard close, you can say, hey, we're under contract, we're closing this date, we need all offers in by this date. We don't get enough offers from investors, we'll close it with our own money because we like the deal, but this is what we are looking at time-wise. Uh, meeting in person helps move things forward faster. Uh, Zoom video calls move things forward a lot faster than audio, and audio moves things forward faster than the telephone, but nothing beats meeting in person uh, in the next video. So I hope that a lot of you can use that and get things going uh, more quickly and more urgently with some investors. So we'll have to do another uh, Q&A webinar where we just answer questions. I know there's um, 20 or 30 questions in here we didn't have time to get to, so I apologize for that. Um, if you do have additional questions you would like to get answered, please email those to Andres, A-N-D-R-E-S, Andres, at pitchdex.com. That's plural, pitchdex.com. If you have questions, Andres at pitchdex.com for your questions. If you're a charter member or a VIP member, etc., please go and email jennifer at familyoffices.com with questions you have about our next upcoming events. For our full event calendar, we have 32 events planned next year. It's like Netflix for investment conferences. You pay your subscription, you get access to any and all of the events, uh, depending on your membership level. It's either one every three months or any and all of them. And you can see that calendar at familyoffices.com, the membership options at familyoffices.com forward slash association. And if, finally, if you do wanna to work together with us at pitchdex.com, you just click on that link that might be showing on your screen, pitchdex.com forward slash packages. So thanks again for everyone uh, watching today. I appreciate your attention. Uh, and I'm sorry I went a little bit over, but I hope everybody got three to five or maybe 10 things they can take action on, get value from, and then come check out one of our full day workshops or I hope to see you in person at one of our investor summits coming up. It's Richard Wilson from the Family Office Club. Take care.